Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today, June 10th, 2020. We're still half, we just now halfway through um, 2020, and it's been a wild ride. And um going to have a few topics today, maybe not so as wild as the last couple of uh, episodes. Um, maybe we try to tone it down, talk about something else, um, still relevant to what the issues are at hand, but maybe we just go into another direction for um, at least one episode. So we're going to talk about the tone deafness of the NYPD. Surprise. Why more people should be like Germany. Getting recruits to our HBCUs. And finally, we're going to send a nice little happy shout out to the purple one. All that and more on the Ty Digger Show coming up after this commercial break. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, Ty Digger Show, June 10th, 2020. Let's get right into it. Um, I just want to start this off by saying and giving a warm happy birthday to what would have been his 62nd birthday, Prince Roger Nelson. Today would have been his, his 62nd birthday. As most of you know, he died in April 2016, tragically at the age of 57. Um, and I'll be honest with you, as a Prince fan, this was something I just wasn't ready for. Um, and again, it's true that they say that you don't really know what's a person going through or whatnot. Um, you see your favorite um, star on TV and you think everything is great. And I'm not going to speculate his mental state or what he was going through at the time of his death. But to me, the man looked like he had another 30 years in. All right. Another 30 years of living in. Looked great. He performed great. Can still perform at a high level. Um, the music he continued to put out were, was amazing. Even the newer stuff that, you know, it took a while for the non-initiated uh, to get a hold of, to be able to follow. But he always was trying to push the boundaries. Even when he first started in the 70s, he was always pushing the boundaries. Um, um, visually and um, musically. Um his writing skills, um, just being able to write hits for so many groups. That, like A lot of people don't understand how many artists that Prince had a hand in writing for. I mean, the man literally just had a vault of music that he can just go into whenever he got ready and just give away if he needed to. Um, amazing performer. Um, people ask me what my favorite song is. I always tell people Prince is like Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. You have a favorite song. You have a group of songs that you, you're always going to listen to from those artists. But to say to have a favorite song, it just does not do that man justice because of his ability um, just to have a song for your mood. Um, there was a song, if you're feeling sexy, it was a song, if you um, wanted to be deep, uh, be a deep thinker, it was a song, if you just wanted to be in love, Prince just had a song and it was and my favorite song always went with my moods. Okay. I just feel like a little rock. 1999. You know, um, Diamonds and Pearls, if I feel a little lover in me or something like that. You know, there was always something that he had for you. And 
unfortunately for me, I never got to see him perform in concert. And part of that was I felt like I had time. Again, this goes back to my um, point a few uh, weeks ago, a few shows ago. Give your heroes flowers while they're here. If you have an artist that you love and that artist is playing in your neighborhood and you can afford to do it, go watch it. Go do it. Never, never miss out on an opportunity to listen to your favorite artist. No, just make sure we just want to always give them flowers. Um, I wrote a little something. I debated on using it, but I guess I wanted to write down my feelings about uh, Prince passing. And of course, I listened to his music all on his birthday. So that's the only thing I listen to. Um, I want to be a lover so I can take you to Erotic City under that graffiti bridge as we travel down to Alphabet Street. See darling Nikki start the grind because I adore her smile in that purple rain. Will we get off while she's face down? Because I like her dirty mind because it's always controversy. Some might not think it was much of anything, but those are just my feelings. I want to make sure I just wrote that down and got that out there. All right. Happy belated birthday, Prince Rogers Nelson. Thank you for all that you uh, have given to us. So I have to kind of move the conversation back towards what we're dealing with right now. All right. We're dealing with police um, action. People are protesting against um, people are protesting against um, the police 501 time, um, if you will. And um, an interesting take on the uh, the issue from Michael Mera uh, of the New York Police Department. And he's basically New York's uh, police boss. I just want you to uh, listen to it right quick. This, and I'm gonna give you my thoughts of it after I play it. This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and bugs and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say. We've been left out of the conversation We've been vilified. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Trying to make us embarrassed of our profession. 375 million interactions. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Nobody talks about all the police officers that were killed in the last week in the United States of America. And there were a number of them. We don't condone Minneapolis. We roundly reject what he did as disgusting. It's disgusting. It's not what we do. It's not what police officers do. Our legislators abandoned us. The press is vilifying us. Well, you know what, guys? I'm proud to be a cop. And I'm going to continue to be proud to be a cop until the day I retire. And that's all I have to say. Wow. Um wow. Just wow. Um 
Eric Gardner anybody? Um, remember New York City policeman strangling um, Eric Gardner to death with a chokehold that was since that was illegal before that moment. I, I just don't think he has a leg to stand on. I, sorry, I know he doesn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, we're watching images of New York City policemen shoot rubber bullets, drive through crowds. Uh, shove men down, push people around. And no, I'm not talking about the older guy that was shoved down in uh, Buffalo. Um, this video evidence of them just walking around, just beating and pushing around protesters, um, seriously trying to harm protesters. So I'm not understanding. That takes a lot of balls to be able to get up there and, and say something like that without even thinking about what your guys did. Like, that's almost saying that what they did was right. And I think he totally misses. Well, you know what? He doesn't miss the point because to miss the point that would suggest that he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's going up there trying to make the cops look like they're the, they're the victims. And if you can convince the world, the people looking at TV, that you're the victims, what you do is considered okay. It's not considered uh, an abuse of power. It's not considered somebody going beyond and beyond their duty, all right, uh, or breaking the rules. If you view them as the victim, people want the victim to protect themselves. If the police are seen as the victim, people are not going to be, people are going to see what they're doing is them protecting themselves. And that's totally not right. Um, you, you got cops, uh, we're going to get the Buffalo. Um, 50-odd cops uh, quit, uh, left their job in protest because two cops were charged for pushing a man down and cracking his skull. They're cracking people's skulls. And I think what white America is going to have to understand or realize that not everybody falls under that protection. There's levels to this. Now, you might, if you run into somebody deemed lower than white, yeah, you're going to get that protection. But to protect the powers that be, a lot of whites are in the same boat of Af as African-Americans. A lot of them are in the same situations where if there's no African-Americans or there's no people of color, they're the ones that's looked at as the criminal class. They're the ones that's looked at as the bad apples. Um, a lot of people that came over from uh, Poland, the Irish, the Italians, uh, a lot of Eastern European people, they all had to come in and they were viewed as the dregs of that society. So if there's no blacks, then guess who the police heads would be cracking? And I think people need to start understanding that. And I think in some sectors, small ones, very small ones, people do see it, but not enough because they've been force-fed this idea that it's us versus them. They've been force-fed this idea that the blacks are here to take your jobs. The blacks are the reason why you're not getting what you think you should deserve to get. They're committing all that crime. Look at all the drugs that's coming in that neighborhood. They're doing that. So vote for me, and I'll make sure we'll do all in our power to keep that off your streets. And a lot of these middle-class whites have bought into that ridiculous idea. Um, the, this idea has been used to turn all races against blacks, even the Latinas, Latinos, uh, Asians, okay, Middle Easterns, Indians. They've been brought, when they come over, they're fed this idea that 
the black people are the bad apples of this country. The reason you see such a police state is to keep those black gangs from your neighborhood. Nobody never talks about the mafia as a gang until you want to glorify it. But then again, so many of those guys had their hands in politicians' pockets. You had no choice but to try to glorify it or try to justify it. So it's just strange to me that he would take this idea that he's being vilified um, when they basically did that to the people of New York. They called them thugs. They vilified them. They, they already judged them before they even approached them. They deemed them not worthy of life. So I maybe it's the sympathy police sympathy part of it i mean you're trying to get sympathy you feel like you've been picked on by something that happened in minneapolis but guess what not a lot of people spoke out about that until all the protests started happening he didn't have an issue with it until the protests in his city and now the light's being shined on him and guess what that light is hot the press is vilifying you the press ain't doing that i don't think they're doing it enough personally they're just capturing it on cameras. Your goons are doing this on camera. People are watching TV. Guess what? Nobody has anywhere to go. So we're going to watch a lot of TV. We're going to watch a lot of news. The legislators abandoned us. I get it. I get it. You're in hand in hand with them. You know, you get the crime off the streets by any means necessary. People get elected and... You know, to see some of them start talking about police reform, that kind of makes you nervous because now you can't go choke out people for no reason now. So I, I get that you feel that they abandoned you, but guess what? You should have known that before you jumped into the pool with bottom beaters. You're going to get dragged down. It's, and guess what? And it's the survival of the fittest. And what a lot of cops don't understand, they're expendable. They're very, very, very expendable. And it's not a great feeling for them. They don't feel um, super about that. So, Adam, again, I get it, but miss me with that. Go sell that story to somebody else. Tell that story to somebody that I actually believe. All right? This, leave me up out of that. Now, on to a little, something a little more happier. Now, the way that we get past all this would be more like Germany. Yep. Would be like more like Germany. They don't like that fascism thing a little too much. They had a feel of that in the 30s and 40s and it didn't end out too well for them. So they go out of their way to make sure stuff like that uh, doesn't happen. And when I talk about that, I talk about Trump pushing this idea that the cops and the National Guard should be able to turn their weapons on civilians just because these people don't agree with them. Um, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. You can't say stuff like that. You cannot even give the idea that that's okay to go out and, and do. And the people in Germany know. That they know. They saw where that led. They saw the world come against them. A lot of people were taught this during their elementary, their formative years. The elders told them how the world came against them and how they showed no mercy on them. You don't want to be in that situation. We never want to bring Germany to that shame. And when you see the president cozy up with Nazis and you see um, white supremacists joining our military, 
they're joining our police force, and they're bringing those negative ideas, those evil ideas into their police work. And a lot of people are fooled because they can always say, well, I'm serving the country or I'm serving my community. I'm protecting my community against the thugs while acting like thugs themselves. These guys are nothing more than stormtroopers. These guys are nothing more than Hitler's SS. You can't do stuff like that. And Germany's totally against it. You can't even you can't even walk around and throw up a Hitler sign, the Howl Hitler sign in in Germany while somebody cracking your skull open. You can't walk around with a Nazi shirt on, get get a yank right up off. And we should have that same energy towards um, these people that bring those same ideas into this country. And unfortunately, a lot of those ideas are ingrained in the police force. All right. So we got to get past all that. I'm going to end that right now. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about our main topic, um, HBCUs, um, having our players come. What's our next move? More on that after this break. Everybody, welcome back. Um, now we're going to finish off today's show. Um, as I promised, we're going to transition into HBCUs and athletics. Um, if you listen to uh, Chris Pods and things, me and uh, CJ talked about HBCUs, um, what direction are we headed in with Hampton and North Carolina A&T um, leaving for the Big South, um, Hampton already being a member of the Big South. Why A&T will be joining the conference um, next summer, and FAMU leaving the MEAC to join the SWAC um, the following summer, uh, the following summer as well in 2021. There's been a lot of talk about where our HBCUs are going, and it's relevant to today's topic because there's been a growing number of conversations about some of these guys not attending. Um, PWIs um, and bringing all that talent to HBCUs and HBCUs being able to benefit from that because, and I agree with the thought process that the media, the accolades, the commercials, it's going to follow where the talent is. If majority of the talent was playing at our local schools, at our HBCUs, I can see where there would be a lot of winning. Now, you're going to probably have to start putting those games in bigger stadiums because a lot of our gyms or football stadiums are not big enough to handle that type of um, traffic. But I can see why people, especially during this time, especially during this time where a lot of young men who go to the University of Alabama, the University of North Carolina, are hearing stuff from alumni about how their lives really don't matter. Um, being told just to shut up and play ball by the same people that claim to love him during the season. But if they're walking in the street, they'll say, well, why that nigga didn't move? So I get the, um, I get the thought process. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask is simply, can it be done? Is it feasible? Is it possible for it to be done? Are these athletes so ingrained into attending these schools, would they even give a Howard, a Hampton, or North Carolina A&T the time of day, 
yes, I've seen instances where people put HBCUs in their uh, final five. But for the most part, we don't get a lot of those five-star guys, four five-star guys to visit to attend our schools unless they either don't get playing time at the um, PWI or the FBS team that they were playing for, or they get in trouble or they might have some issues with their grades and they come down or playing time, they got recruited over, what have you. And keep in mind, being recruited over is a thing. Um, one of the problems people say is that a lot of HBCU coaches simply don't reach out to some of these kids, which I can tell you right now, that's probably, it's true, but it's also a lot of crap. Um, to say these coaches don't reach out to these kids, ignore the reasons why they're not reaching out. Um, I had a talk with a famous DC coach. Well, he wasn't the head coach, but he was one of the head coach's assistants of a very famous um, District of Columbia coach. And I made a comment about, you know, hope some of these kids could end up at Howard soon. I think I thought those kids can help us. And the coach looked at me and he was saying, you know, I, Howard won't recruit our kids. We send kids to them all the time. And I asked him, oh, when, when, uh, who, who are you, who are y'all trying to get to Howard? And he pointed, pointed out a couple guys, nice kids, but they was on the sidelines for a reason. Um, and maybe a lot of people don't understand this, but Howard University plays the Division One football. That's not a place for a 125, 28, 30-pound safety. All right? That's not a place for a kid that small and not very fast. The, guy got in, the guys got in mop-up time during the game, and I don't think they played a lot. And my thing was to him was when we come recruit, we come recruit the good players just like the white schools as well. You know, those, those kids are good players. And the guy was like, nah, we're saving those guys for the um, Bowling Greens and the Toledos, you know, the bigger schools so they can get more uh, exposure. If we can get them to a Power 5 school, fine. But we're at least trying to get them to those uh, to those schools. And to my thinking is like, at some point, as a coach, you just don't want to mess with that program no more. You don't want to go down and waste your time if the coach is purposely steering the kid somewhere else. Yeah, you make the offer, but are you really in that much of a competition for them? Okay, so some of that stuff that we don't get these players, it's not because HBCU coaches are not trying. They're not stupid. It's some of those high school coaches who complain about that. You need to take a look in the mirror. Are they willing to send the kid to HBCU that ends up at a Penn State or Alabama or North Carolina? That's a question you gotta look. You gotta look and look at them. Personally, I would tell a kid to go where your heart is. If it's an HBCU, awesome. As an HBCU grad, you're gonna have an amazing time here. You're gonna have a great time, and not only just on the field or on the yard, but you're gonna meet friends that you're gonna know for life. And I think you can do that at any school, but I think it's something different when you attend the HBCU. And I'm not telling people you should attend. If you have a program that 
a school doesn't offer or you think this program is better, by all means, go to the school where you're at. Because I also tell young kids, it's where you're going to feel comfortable at. You got to go there. Nobody else. So I can tell you everything I want, but you still have to attend that school. All right. So. But I guess, again, back to my point, the coaches got to be involved. Some of these black coaches or these inner city high schools got to uh, be a part of that. So stop just trying to use um, Howard and Hampton and A&T and FAMU as schools just to throw off your kids that who probably are not going to play Division One football just to say they have a place. These coaches are trying to keep their jobs, too. So their goal is to get the best player. Now that I'm on that, the best player, I also question the motives of the people who want these kids here. Do you want these kids here because you feel like HBCUs can nurture them better? You feel like those kids should not be subjected to racism that they're subjected to at other schools? Okay. Again, that might be the kid's decision. He might be able to weigh the pros and cons. His family can do so himself themselves. But are you asking them for those reasons or are you telling these kids to come here so you can exploit them as well? Because a lot of the reasons I hear why getting these top tier kids into HBCUs is so HBCUs can get some of that NCAA money. So we can get some of that TV money. Wouldn't that just be as much as exploitation or we exploiting them ourselves? That's I don't know. That's a question that you have to ask yourself. I would want a kid to go here because it's an amazing experience. And whether you're on TV or not, it doesn't matter. It's all about your experience. You just don't want to be just the person who dances around uh, party time. Also, I want you to keep in mind the kids who who made that decision to come to a Howard, who, who come to Hampton, uh, Tuskegee. Gramlin, Southern, uh, Lincoln, those kids who make North Carolina Central, those kids who make the decision to come and play ball at the school. Because at the end of the day, these kids have scholarship offers elsewhere and they made the choice to come here to represent your university, our university. And we might not have the national championships that the bigger schools have, but I love the fact that those kids made that choice to come here. Nobody else is going to make that choice. Okay. A lot of people didn't want to make that choice. They they decided to make their choice. And a lot of these are good students. Ended up being good students. A lot of them end up being very productive after um, their four years here. So are you doing it? So love to those kids. Got to show love to them. And I wouldn't want to get in a situation where we're recruiting over or pushing those kids out. That's not how I want to win. I don't want to win that way. And if that's that big of a deal, then maybe we need to go to D2, which brings me to my next. Well, I'm going to save that point um, for last. But um, finally, getting recruits to HBCU, location, 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 location. People have to understand that it's difficult for uh, coaches of our schools or smaller schools in general to be able to recruit kids outside of their geographic footprint. How it might be a national university, it might be a, a nationwide university and known around the world, but its athletic department does not have that type of money just to be able to send a coach all the way to Los Angeles every weekend to look at a recruit. Um, 
most guys might not hear of a young black kid out in Colorado, in the outskirts of Colorado, Denver, Colorado, because there's, and to my knowledge, not a lot of HBCUs out there. Maybe there are some grads. Maybe they can send tape. They can definitely do that. But during recruiting, a lot of recruits want the coaches to be able to come in and see them often. And we don't have that type of money unless we're going all in on a recruit. But then you hurt the um, recruiting class because you can't go out and get the kids that's right next door. All right? Can't get the kids right, right next door. So it's difficult to ask North Carolina A&T to fly out to Bismarck um, in the Dakotas and, and, and look at a black kid. You know, and I go back to the coaches. The coaches got to be proactive. If you want to send your kids here, if you want these schools to recruit their kids, send film. All right, send film, contact these schools. And don't get me wrong, there have been stories of schools getting this type of love from coaches and ignoring it. Howard, Byron Leftwich, still sticks in my craw a little bit. Um, but for the most part, our schools are trying. Our schools are trying to find the best people, okay? And finally, I just want to give a few minutes to talk about what's our next move. Um, I think I might have talked about this on the uh, Chris Pods and Thing uh, podcast, but I want to be clear that I think at this time, especially you combine COVID nineteen, it's going to hurt hurt us uh, financially. To be able to play Division One athletic, you gotta have money to be able to do X Y Z, and. I'm not sure if a lot of our schools are in that position to be able to compete at this high level. I honestly think a lot of our schools, if not all of our schools, even the ones that are doing okay right now, those schools that's at that top tier need to ask themselves, is this, is this sustainable? If something pops off and the federal government doesn't have to fund us or something pops off and we don't get the same type of money we get from the federal government or state government is what we're doing sustainable. Because when you think about um, economic downturns, uh, recessions, the first people usually hit during these recessions is the people that attend these schools. The people that attend these schools, the people that are graduating from these schools who are not getting those jobs, who are end up having to work lower paying jobs just to simply survive. And those people might not have that thousand dollars to put in that next year. I mean, be honest with you, by this time next year, I don't know what we're going to be. We might all be farmers next year. Who knows? Um, but we might not have that that extra cash laying around to go to those bowl games to buy that merchandise. Um, so these schools don't have the money to be able to compete at that level. So now it gets to the point. Maybe Division Two is where we're going to be at. And let's be honest. Everything that traditionists want, you can get at Division Two. You want to do a bowl game. You can do that at Division Two. Not one person that went to that celebration bowl would have turned down the chance to go to it if all the schools in the MIAC were Division Two and SWAC were Division Two. Not one person. You're still, you're still going to get the same crowd at the Florida Classic. You're going to get the same crowd for Howard Homecoming. Howard Hampton's going to have the same crowd. Anti-South Carolina State, Anti-Central, Anti-Winston-Salem State, they're going to have the same crowd. Hampton-Norfolk State, 
the same crowd. Morgan Howard, the same crowd. Um, the Bayou Classic, Thanksgiving Classic, the same crowd of people are going to be there. Those are not casual fans. Those are not casual attendees of these shows, of these games. People are coming for the band. People are coming for the dancers. People are coming to fellowship. People are coming to see classmates that they haven't seen in 10, 15 years. These parties, these homecomings, these events, the CIAA is one of the biggest tournaments in the country, and it's Division Two. It's been Division Two, and it's it's gonna stay big. Those schools can drop to Division Three, and that CIAA tournament is gonna be packed. People are gonna be there just to turn up. So, is, are, we, are we really, and for what? To keep up with Duke, Kentucky. Alabama, Notre Dame, UCLA, keep up, Carolina. Those schools don't, we don't have the same mission statement. We don't have the same history. Who are they to be equal to? We can do everything that we want to do. We can make our own money. We can do our own thing at any division that we want to do. Just because we've always learned to put our heads together. So, that's just my take on things. Coming back to you, well, Saturday. Talk to you guys again on Saturday. It was a great show. Um, thanks for turning in. And for you people that continue to listen, I thank you for the bottom of my heart. We're going to keep on working, all right? Hey, before I go, take care of yourself. You cannot survive COVID-19. You cannot survive this struggle. You cannot survive what's going on in the streets today. And you dang sure ain't going to make it to November if you don't start taking care of yourself first. One love.